Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Start Online Podcast with me, Rich Lee. It's an interview podcast with entertainers, entrepreneurs, athletes, philanthropists, getting behind their starting lines and what they did with where they did start. Today, we are talking to Dan Norton. Dan Norton, born in Gloucester, is the leading all-time try scorer in the Rugby 7 Series. He crossed the try line 358 times over the course of 92 tournaments, totaling 1,804 points in total, which tells me there's there's a conversion or two in there. Norton bowed out of the game as the fourth highest point scorer of all time, going down in history. This is from the England Rugby website. Going down in history as a legend and one of the greatest sevens players ever. Dan started his rugby career at Hartbury College and then went on to Hartbury University. Hartbury now incredibly famous as the conveyor belt that it is for the professional game where he then played for Gloucester, and from Gloucester he went to Moseley, then to Bristol, playing 15s, and then England 7s came about as an opportunity, and he threw his hat in and went full noise into 7s, and I think the game will never, ever forget him. He had a brief stint then at London Irish before returning to 7s, and establishing himself, as I say, as the highest try scorer of all time, being coached by the likes of Simon Amor and Ben Ryan, Fiji's Olympic gold medal winning coach Ben Ryan. Dan won silver playing in that final of the 2016 Olympics and cites it as his proudest moment playing the sport. It's a long, long way for a boy from Gloucester to go to Rio and win silver. Shortly after we spoke, Dan announced his retirement from England Rugby Sevens after a 13-year career and he announced a move into coaching with China's Rugby Sevens squad. We spoke spring 2022 and I should tell you now, this is a slightly different episode to normal in that, I mean, that was quite a long time ago, 18 months ago. And Dan was the first person that agreed to speaking to me for this podcast. At the time, 
I can't remember the name that I was possibly going to be going with. It wasn't the starting line. But Dan was incredibly kind in giving me some of his time and talking to me a really crucial part of his career, having amassed those 350-something at the time tries and 90 tournaments under his belt, staring down the barrel of retirement and what life looked like after that. So what we've done, because that was such a long time ago and things have definitely changed for both of us in that period of time, we had another conversation. So the first part is the interview from spring 2022. And I I like to think of it like a time capsule. It's a wonderful look at the time of Dan's impending retirement and I guess still as a player, still as a professional rugby sevens player, a look at his career to that point and what was coming up. And we spoke a lot about the RFU and their handling of COVID, which needless to say wasn't brilliant. And how Dan spoke publicly about that and yeah, we, we really get into everything about his motivation, his drive, his family, his success. And I truly believe he's one of the best to ever do it. Dan and I played together. We get into that a tiny bit when we were kids, where I just lummoxed my way around a pitch. Dan was always the quick, nippy one, stepping people. And that continued for another 20 years after we played together. I should also say that the audio quality is not fantastic. Every other interview has been in person. And as such, the audio quality is is high. This was recorded on Zoom, the first one I ever did. I was nervous. <laughs> it's funny listening to the unedited file. You can absolutely hear that I'm not quite as good as I hope I am now. I make a lot of statements rather than ask questions, but that's just me being hard on myself, possibly. It's still a fantastic conversation with a true rugby sporting legend. So there there I was panicking that the audio quality wasn't brilliant. And producer Eddie rightly said to me, he said, when you're watching something on your phone, as we all have, you forget very, very quickly that you're watching something on a phone. And I hope that's the case with the audio here too. I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to be back in the middle of this to introduce the second part of our conversation recorded this morning. So Saturday, 21st of October. This episode is going out on Monday. So it's incredibly fresh. So you'll hear me hear from me again then. And then at the end of the episode... Thank you for listening. Thank you for loveliness. And I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Dan Norton. Do you want to tell us where you are in uh, your career at the minute, what you're doing, and uh, I guess what's coming up? Yeah, so I am, what, 34 now? 34 last week. So we are 34, old. Dan. <laughs> Very true. Very old in the game of seven. So seven is I'm a rugby, I'm a professional rugby player, as you mentioned. But I play seven. Seven is slightly different to fifteen, including the name. There's only seven players on the pitch. Similar to kind of the Formula One, we go around the world. We used to go around the world pre-COVID, playing in ten different stop-offs, gaining points from each tournament, from thirty points down to like one point for turning up. So well done to those guys. Sometimes that's as well as England. And then yeah, there's a world champion end of the season, also playing the Olympics, come off games. Um so a global kind of sport goes around the world and plays an amazing tournament. I'm currently sat in my living room with no kids and yeah, just prepping before I leave for our next seven tournament and probably should be my last involvement playing professional rugby. So on on that, so um how many more tournaments do you think you might you might stick around for current 90 90 tournaments the record is 93 i'm doing these next two and then finishing so i'll finish on 92 but there's another guy so i'm in joint 
third, I think, on 90. So there's another guy who still plays for New Zealand. He's also on 90 or maybe 91. So in theory, he could be playing and getting the record later this year. Um, one of my good friends, my Asher, James Rodwell, is the record holder on 90. Uh, there's another Kiwi on 92. So um, it's all very close at the top. But uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed my time playing seven. Um, I'm sure you're going to post loads of my highlight videos, etc. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is nice to reminisce and look back on the, on the 90 tournament. And again, I'm sure we're touching a bit later, but our journey, how we met, and how we got to this point today. It's a it's a weird one. With I mean, on the, the 90 tournaments thing, first of all, you can't have all of the records. So you know, like it's, leave leave some stuff for other people. I'm sure. Give it nice. time. Give, give, give it time. <laughs> give it time. <laughs> we played together a little bit when we were kids. I mean, I, I forget the age now, 14, 15, you know, it was around the 15, yeah. something like that, right? County level rugby in Gloucestershire. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when I think about when we played together, I remember you always enjoying it. You know, you've got those players that they go out to, to achieve and they go out to, to make it. And it almost feels like they're not enjoying playing. They don't, they, you know, they're, that you see them at training and it's just head on and you see them, you know, drawing the game and, you know, every mistake, everything they do, you know, they're, they're kind of self-analyzing. You can feel that. Now, obviously you've got incredible players like your Wilkinsons that, that do that. You're never going to see them smile on the pitch, but then you've got your Finn Russell and you, that, you know, just seem to enjoy the game just that bit more. And I genuinely, I remember uh, a match, I think Brockworth possibly. So I think you, you played for Brockworth for a little bit as well, right? Yeah, Brockworth and Gloucester, yeah. But you were just screaming and enjoying the fact that you were just, tearing it up and just like taking people on the outside for fun and just sounding like you're having the best game of your life. I don't think anybody else touch a ball, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, th I think the, the smile element is definitely around, I think it's more a grimace than anything else. <laughs> it doesn't look like it. There's definitely a element of, in sevens, obviously, it's, like, it's seen as like a party atmosphere. You go around the world playing in different countries in the sun, people enjoying kind of partying, drinking and just socialising and the elements of why sport's so cool. Um, and yeah, it, they, they are amazing moments as well playing in those, in those tournaments because they are so unique. And now I'm sat here thinking back to the last 90-odd tournaments. Like, there's been some incredible, mo like, amazing moments in there, more so some lows. But generally, you, you cherish those opportunities, hence why kind of it's nice to enjoy and to embrace it. And for me, yeah, I think the, um, the default is to smile through all slash grimace. So that's do, probably do, the reason why. <laughs> it's, it's funny because you, you hear ex-players talk about Haskell in particular. I've heard him on, on his podcast talk about how he just didn't, you know, he didn't give himself the room to enjoy it. And now having retired, you know, he's looking back thinking, why didn't I just, you know, did I need to do the extras? Could I just drop that one thing and gone out with the lads? And, and I guess that's, that's an interesting aspect. You've been all around the world, as you just said. You're with a group of mates and creating memories in, in you know, beautiful places around the world. That, that must be like just great for what's, what's your downtime like when you're you know, when you're competing yeah so normally we would be so the tournament's normally the weekend either two days over Saturday Sunday or even a Friday Saturday depending where we are normally we'd get there a week before so like we get there on the Monday we'll play on the Saturday Sunday for instance and in that time you've prepped for the last four or five weeks quite high intense kind of like pre-season training for like five weeks on the bounce so when you get to the tournament it's more about recovering and getting yourself ready to peak for that weekend so that's generally where we'd still get acclimatized to the time zone because we're going from so for instance this week or next week flying to singapore which is plus eight right i think and then we'll play so we get there on the monday 
We'll be there all week. We'll then play on the Saturday and the Sunday. We'll leave on the Monday morning and fly to Vancouver. So that's a big swing. So that's like a, that's eight hours back from the UK. So yeah, 40, 60, I think it is. So pretty mental. So normally it's like only a handful at times. So um, that's a big swing. Yeah, it's going to be um, interesting to see how the, how the guys fare after playing an intense weekend, two days of rugby, and then flying 16, 18 hours and then doing it again the following week. So yeah, the time zones are pretty hard to deal with, but I think sometimes like you say from a from a downtime, like you get opportunities again pre-COVID, keep saying this now, pre-COVID two years ago, which has been so long, of where we'd be able to go out and explore the the cities we were in and we'd generally go into like some of the best cities in the world. So we went to Vegas, we went to LA, Sydney, um, Wellington in New Zealand, uh, Cape Town, Hong Kong, Singapore, Toulouse, Paris, loads of different cool cities. And so rugby is the vehicle which takes you there to enjoy those cultures as well. So yeah, we do get opportunities. It is kind of work, train and kind of recover, but also go out and explore our coffee and go and see some of the cool things in those in those places as well. So we're very, we're very lucky to have that privilege of being able to do that. And yeah, probably touching on Haskell's point around getting the balance right. I think sevens again is different. The way the game's played, you there's a lot more kind of switch on, switch off, so like kind of the undulating period of a, of a sevens weekend compared to Haskell was priming for a game at a weekend or fifteens and priming for a game at a weekend. Yeah. For them, everything was about winning that game. So it was so big being an English player playing for England. So that's kind of why it you lose the kind of enjoyment because you you're putting in so much effort just to win and be competitive and it meant so much so again it's the same realm in professional sport but for us I think it's seen differently because we know there's a it's only 14 minutes a game and there's a lot more variables to play a referee decision a kickoff decision can can really impact the game so that's kind of why you have to just be you have to just flow with the games and just be your best version of yourself like all players do but just flow in the games and try and problem solve and be and be a bit and be as competitive as you can. You, you just said then about um, you know, some some of the experiences you've had. You said in a video I watched the other day that Rio is probably one of your your best memories. Rio twenty sixteen. You scored in the final, right? What what made that the like, you know the tournament stands out for you? I think I was kind of been playing sevens for eight years, ten years, and the sign that we would be playing sevens in the Olympics was never something that was ever attainable when you start playing rugby at your son's age at nine, 10 years old. Like for me, everybody sees at nine years old, you want to play for England or you never think about actually, I want to play in the Olympics. You watch the Olympics because obviously it's on all over the place. You see it at the multi-sport event, but sevens was never part of that. When it got involved the, to them becoming the games, it was something so different to what we've ever been used to. So it's it, the fact that being in a major game with 10,000 other athletes, playing for Team GB, which we would never normally be able to play for, and having my family there. But then I think from the previous experience of playing in 2021, the fact that we came away with a medal and a silver and the manner in which we went about it probably made it such an incredible moment because I think we our quarter, our last pool game to get into the quarterfinals, our quarterfinal game, our semifinal game, we scored, um, we won by one try. So they, all the games were intense and really close. And we literally gave emotionally everything we could in those two, three days into the tournament. So to come away with an amazing reward probably made it even more kind of in, enjoyable. And sharing it with my dad, who obviously got me to rugby in the first place. And to have him, have him there and see him crying and stuff, 
was quite uh, a nice experience. Yeah. So apart from getting absolutely slammed in the final, to be able to then <laughs> obviously stand there and get a medal and have all those enjoyments cool as well. At the time, as you said, without like with rugby not being an Olympic sport until obviously much more recently, I think everybody back here was pulling for you as well. There, there was a real, you know, we're, yeah, we're in a final at the Olympics. That's incredible. And obviously with you being from here. Uh, so you went to Brockwood Secondary School, which didn't sign a peg girl there. Yeah, that's right. So we, 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 when I was, I think I was in year 10 and he came back and did like a little presentation about like no a school assembly, which is pretty cool. But again, this is pre his massive explosion, but um, yeah, yeah he, he, it was pretty cool to say that, yeah. When did you start playing rugby? I started when I was nine. So again, my dad was a big so grassroots rugby. So he'd play on the Saturday for our local team in Gloucester. Again, like the, the old men. And again, it was more an excuse for him to go and have a drink after the game and to socialise to see his mate. So I'd then be dragged along. We'd get our bikes down to the rugby club. We'd, he'd go and spend like the day there and go and play different local teams in Gloucester. He'd then have a few beers and then cycle home. So that was generally his weekend. He'd enjoy seeing his mates playing some rugby and socialising with friends. What position was he? He was a back. So, again, when you're playing 13 rugby or 14 rugby, you get as many players as you can on the field rather than having <laughs> any specific position. But he was an outside back like myself. He was more a winger. But his hands were dreadful. So he couldn't catch to save his life. So that's kind of where I got my hereditary genes from, to be fair. He was quick and good at catch. So I share some of those genes. So, so you started playing at nine and there's always that catalyst point, isn't there, where you think, you know, I can make something. You know, I can, I can do this. And I just wonder when that was for you. Yeah, no, so... When I was nine, my dad was like, you're going to start playing rugby. And I was like, I don't want to. I'm happy just, just running around, just charging around and stuff. And he's like, no, you're going to play. And then just kind of got stuck in it, to be honest. And then I was never seen as one of the, the better kids. I kind of enjoyed running around, had a bit of pace, but that was about it. And then I went to Hartbury when I was 16, so left school and did college, did a BTEC there for two years, which people all laugh about. But for me, like I thoroughly enjoyed my time and... I never went there to be to like high, have like amazing ac- academics. I went there because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to do like a an electrician or plumber's course at, um, at Gloucester in Gloucester because I couldn't. I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't want to be in in school. So that's kind of where Hartbury came in quite nicely of, of kind of the four time PE for a week, isn't it? Every time you go there. Yeah. So I mean, what what year would that be? That would have been what two thousand. Oh, yeah. So I was 16. So I was there for two years and then went on to the university after as well. But again, the, the lure was more so for rugby rather than doing the academics. The academic side came came in as well. Um, but to answer yeah. your question, I think I never, ever thought I was ever going to make it or as such. I kind of just slowly progressed through the kind of rugby ranks and kind of enjoyed doing like running around people more often. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Well, that's, that was a nice moment. That was a nice game or things like that. And then when the kind of the the Gloucester kind of bandwagon then started turning up for like 16 to 18 year olds, that's kind of where I started getting more people talking or saying my name. But again, I wasn't ever one of the top picks. I was kind of there or thereabouts. Everybody knows Hartbury now as the rugby can bear about, don't they? They produce more professionals, uh, you know, more people into international setups than any other college, any other university. But I don't think at the time, it, it was obviously known for rugby, but it, it wasn't quite the kind of renowned place it is now. You know, So I guess players like you probably help put it on the map in terms of, uh, I know you'd never say that necessarily yourself, but you know, when, when people think, about players that they've turned out. Your name's always up there. Let's go back to your dad because it fascinates me. You said he's 74 and still working. Yeah. No, I just find it mind-boggling that like he 
I can't be bothered to work on a day in my life. <laughs> I'm probably from the lazy genes, but for him, like he he loves it, and it's the fact that he doesn't have to work, but he chooses to, and he gets up at six in the morning to go to work, and then he's working till six. But he just loves being around. He's an extrovert. He loves being around people. He loves kind of just socializing, and he'll talk to anybody. He loves talking about rugby. It gives him an an excuse to be out of the house. And I think for him, it gives him that mental and physical stimulus he needs to keep him young. He's always been seen as looking younger than he actually is. He was always there and always seemed so positive and so supportive. And and also like again, always with a smile on his face. So you know, I think that enjoyment aspect, the you know, the the fact that you can take pressured situations and and you know make something of them. There are obviously so many people that are fast. So many people that have a great step. So many people that can kick and chase well. Every element that comes together for you, isn't it, that helps you become the player you are? I think on that point, I think when you look at other professional athletes, so there's, again, when we were 16, 18, all those guys who are in like Gloucester 18, Gloucester 16, like, like fallen by the wayside. And I don't, sometimes that is their own undoing. Sometimes it's it's not. But I, I think like we were all physically in and around the same kind of area. Give take one minute. Yeah, we were all growing. And I think the biggest change is that mental drive and I, and it's not always a, a conscious decision to be like oh I'm driven therefore that's what I want to be perceived to be and things like that it's more so a case of yeah the I think my dad's and my family probably did a lot of unconscious beating of me and teaching rather than actually like they always said just go and do like, be the best you can be kind of thing and all that other stuff did you, do you feel like you took that on? Uh, no, I never. I never. I never. I never listened to them. Like you, you <laughs> never. You never consciously listen to your parents. I think you. There's always that unconscious teaching and coaching going on. Me, I, I wouldn't say I'm a driven person or I've got any of these strong accolades, which means that's the result of why I am who I am. I think for me, I kind of just. I find I found a passion I really enjoy, and I've and it's kind of pushed me in the direction. And I know that if I'm going to do it, then I might as well try and do it as well as I can. So then what does that look like from a individual point of view? And I think probably stepping steps here, but over the last five or 10 years, I, I, it's probably a case of like, well, what works well for me as a rugby player? What are my individual strengths? What do I bring to a team? How can I combine that? What do I need to do to get the best out of myself each game? And I think the mental point is probably the hardest bit because mentally playing rugby is so demanding. And understanding how to get the, the, the consistency and performances and going through the undulating of like reviewing and working on strengths and weaknesses and improving in that manner, like having that mental fortitude, again, consciously or unconsciously, is what is going to set you apart from the other guy. How you can really implement yourself and be happy in yourself and get the best out of yourself each game. I think people see players who go up there and play well so like a, a Donald Wilkerson and stuff like that and even it's been reported that obviously they've still got loads of self-doubt when they are playing and things like that and again like even when like I'd be stood in the tunnel before I run out for a game and I'll be thinking negative thoughts like fuck I I hope I I hope I get injured so I don't have to kind of kind of play the whole game and really? shit like that like really like mental stuff where your your brain's just hijacking you so like send some reading around that I've been like a blue brain and a red brain and how they kind of work together or against each other I don't know that what's that so your blue brain is kind of like your calm computer kind of self which is like methodical and understanding of the world around you whereas your red is like your chimp brain so that's like your animal instincts and stuff and you're like scared by fear you're driven by like what if again so the psychology stuff we've done in, in in rugby has been beneficial and like saying like you have tens of thousands of thoughts every day but the thing that is to understand that your thoughts 
unlocked yourself. Like sometimes you're having thoughts and not even your your own self. So that's kind of where I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about like in a tunnel before we play against a Fiji or a New Zealand. Are you having that conversation with yourself where you're like, that's not a real thought or, or that thought isn't helpful? Yeah, so it, it kind of goes in two ways. So again, we train to know what the signs are. So like beforehand, you're stood there being like, this may happen kind of thing. And you're thinking yourself, you're trying to like reset, refocus, refocus. And like your mind is kind of darting all over the place. And especially when you're playing sevens and you have to then start a game, do a game and then cool down and then peak again and do this. Sometimes it's very tiring having those continuous thoughts and you saying, be quiet, stop it. Like it's fine, it's going to be okay. So like it's understanding through, through training and experience of just like letting your thoughts be. And being like, whatever is said, you know, it's not the actual truth. And I, and I think that's kind of one part of what I, I know. And it's also that I kind of control the process into the matches so that I do a similar warm up and then similar kind of have a similar feel of where I want to get to. So once I get there, I know if I get into that tunnel and I've done everything I have. So I've trained really well on the lead up to it. I've done all my prep work. Even though I may get hijacked, I know that it's fine because I know that's not actually what's going to happen. And once I run out there, it all resets anyway. You, you sometimes get those players and you know you can hide to an extent. You can go from ruck to ruck. In sevens, there's nowhere to hide. Did you ever feel that level of expectation on you? For me, if I'm really good, then, then I'm happy with that. And all we can control are our own kind of thoughts and our own kind of involvement. I know that I'm confident in my teammates around me. So I know that all I have to do is be the best version of myself. And then from there, like they'll help me and I'll help them. And we're not going out there to be to be rubbish. We're going out there to do our best and to win games. If, if you feel weight at all, I guess it, it's maybe with each other, not the expectation kind of externally. Yeah. And, and I think a, a key point to kind of understand within all that is that some good headway we've made is like is understanding my own impact on the team. So again, I'm quite jokey and mess around and compared to some other teammates who are quite serious and like process. And need to understand the plan of where we want to get to and all that. Whereas I'm kind of like, I'm just here for a good time. So it's like, it's understanding how we both work off each other. And then what does the best version of myself look externally and internally? And then what's like the worst version of myself externally and internally? Because if I'm having a bad day, like you said, and I'm being a, a bell end, and I'm then distracting the guys around me, then we're not going to have a good team cohesion. So it's just understanding how I rub off my other players but also understanding what that player, who that player is, what the values are, and the best way to kind of interact with them. Because sometimes that does get lost. And it's not something you kind of would always openly sit down and go through. But I think those sessions where we've sat down and really discussed matters and understood our teammates have probably given us a lot more cohesion and understanding of when the shit hits the fan and things like that. Like, we know who the generals are to kind of lead the ship and we know what kind of it looks like when we are working together. Are you kind of looked to now as one of those senior players is captaincy ever interested you do, do you want to be a leader in that way or do you just want to get your job done yeah so I, I think within seven even though there's a, there's a captain there's still you've got six other guys on the field and we we all kind of have an area of expertise or we all support as a team so we all still have to make decisions in attack and defense we have to make decisions around what the other teams are doing the things about like so you all have a buy-in to top but the md those guys or the captain and stuff they make the override and stay and they're there to obviously make sure everything's working well but generally it's still for us as a role to obviously push forward and, and to give our our own kind of understanding and decision making skills in there I've never been like, bothered by captains to be honest i think i think playing well and being a captain are two different things like you can have you can be a terrible rugby player be a good captain 
no names. But no, I, I think <laughs> like, I, I love. I don't think I'd be a very good captain for us as a team. I think I think my experience is is one thing, but my the skill set for some of the captains I've had have been completely different to me, and something I've really cherished working with. So um, yeah, I, I I don't think I've ever really wanted to have that kind of level of worry in my mind as well it's one of those things that you know you either want it or you don't and yeah you know, some and sometimes the people that want it aren't necessarily the ones it should as you were come up were there any particular sacrifices you felt you had to make no not really obviously you'd like to go on the beers a few more times drink, eat, eat more rubbish food and things like that and things you enjoy but i think i've kind of always it feels i've always been involved in some facet of being of doing this so i kind of enjoyed like working hard together as a team like grafting for each other, sharing those moments where you, you're you feeling terrible lying on the floor after a session, making yourself better for the team and kind of things I enjoy. So I don't think I've, I haven't really sacrificed very much. It feels quite normal. And I don't mean that in a nausea yeah. way either. We're not too strict as a team. Like if I want, if you want to go have a few beers, we have a few beers. If you want to go and have, uh, eat some food and stuff. Like it doesn't, it's not like a, a, a strict of manner. We have to, you can only do this at this certain time. It's very flexible and, and user friendly on, on those matters as well. So yeah, I haven't had to sacrifice too much. Miss a few weddings um, yeah. and a few birthday parties, which have probably been a bit frustrating. But at the same time, like there's a lot of my friends are in the same boat. What about since being a dad? So like obviously the last years, I have we haven't really been playing very much because we couldn't get abroad. Yeah. It does feel guilty when you are away, when obviously you're hearing them, obviously it's hard for, for the wife and stuff for your partner when you're on you're away selling yourself, you're doing something for their legacy in a way to make them proud and that's what it feels like. And I think about it in a selfish way of like, I'm better doing this for the family than being like grumpy at home because I can't play a sport I, I enjoy playing. So that's kind of where the kind of the deal is like it's only short lived and it's only four or five years of their life, which I understand, but hopefully I'll be able to re- repay them with like finished playing rugby. Um, for me, I know that you know, I, I get a lot out of other people being kind about the things that I do, you know, in terms of creating things. Like, is it important for you, for people to be proud of you? Yeah, I, I think I think as human beings, we all enjoy that kind of self-fulfillment of people being, of people saying like, well done to you. So I, I think yeah. it's a natural kind of, there's a natural progression in life, isn't it? And I think, I'm proud that I'm able to do my family proud more than anything else. Like for yeah. me to be able to go out there and my mum tells the world that I play rugby kind of thing. It shows <laughs> everybody else videos of me playing, which is really cool. And and it's not like being big headed and stuff, but it's a nice way like we can share something as a family. It's really cool to, to share that with them and see how proud they are of like me being able to play in those games and me being able to share that tea, that environment and stuff with them I don't mean that in a big head away that's the stand a little bit I'm proud to be able to share like that as a family and that they supported to get me to that point as well so I mean I guess the last couple of years have probably been incredibly frustrating to still be capable of doing what you do how hard has that been over the last couple of years you know, how have you really felt that frustration yeah I thought we got made redundant or our contracts not extended sorry I don't know which way you look at it uh, I don't know what yeah. the right way is back in August 2020 so we got back from a tournament literally in March when COVID just hit and then we went to, we went into lockdown and then we again as everybody thought it would be a six or eight week thing you know yeah. three months at max and then eventually obviously with it being playing around the world and different countries and stuff and things like that we then didn't go back into playing seven the Olympics then got postponed nobody knew what was happening eventually went and played some 15 to London Irish which was okay yeah. I didn't play very well with my experience 
And then they eventually came back in 2021, back into sevens, and then was prepping for the Olympics that year as Team GB or GB Rugby. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of ups and downs in that period, like financially, understanding where things are at, like, am I going to be able to ever play again? And then again, finished the Olympics in July, came fourth, didn't get a medal, wasn't given a renewed contract. And then that kind of same kind of cycle continued, like wasn't given a contract. What am I doing now of my life? Am I playing rugby still? Am I transitioning out financially? How are we going to survive? And yeah, there's like there was a lot of low points and a lot of like periods of like fulfillment and then like down and things like that. And that was probably yeah being the last years. And, I, and again, not just sharing it, I think it's the same for a lot of other people with, with COVID and just how hard it's hit the loss of family members and things like that. So we were lucky that we we got to play in the Olympics and do that and potentially lucky to play again and things are recovering. But yeah, it's been a very up and down year. And that was, as a, so as a team, you heard that at the same time? Yeah, so we were all on a Zoom call and they, and they told us. So um, yeah, and then obviously then we started questioning and being like, well, hang on a minute, we've got contracts, what does it look like? You know, and that all kind of, then eventually that got sorted away from everything. I think yeah. the frustrations are kind of the manner in which that Seven's obviously has been mine a lot of boys jobs for a long time which we were obviously very lucky to do, to do. but then the manner in, in which it felt as though we were just kind of dropped and I get it from like a business point of view of being like look kind of sim not P&O but not saying that's right but obviously you see like look we're having money here like we need to find ways to stop that and uh, again I would have liked to have felt that they would have dealt with it differently yeah I mean what what was it was it literally just a case of okay from next month you're not getting paid no so our contracts are all only about three contracts were supposed to be more extended for the next year because obviously when we were sorting out contract kind of the start but yeah January then we they were um in which direction was going in within seven and then obviously we got back from Vancouver and then COVID hit and lockdown hit then that's when this slowly then started then playing out and then the RFU was saying that they lost loads of money, like hundred million or whatever else. And then yeah, that's kind of just the the the, the transit, the, the kind of next steps will happen with us, unfortunately. But like I, I get it from a business point of view. I think it just it's just frustrating that we were then just picked up and then dropped. And then some of us were then brought back in in January or February on new contracts. And like, well, why would we would we not just kind of being kept on in? I've I've seen it. I mean, you know, I've taken a taken a business through. So my my company's seven and a half years old now. So you know, I've seen it. The last two years have been tough for, for everybody, you know, but, but yeah. business owners, you know, and and employees alike. And I've been so cautious and careful the whole way through to ensure that my team don't feel the the, the brunt of it, that they don't feel like they've been dropped. Sixty percent of business walked out the door within a couple of weeks of of that first lockdown. That's shit. <laughs> you know, that's you know, every single day clients call in saying, "So you know that contract? You might as well tear it up." And yeah. you've got to understand it because, again, from a business perspective, you know, travel companies, things like that. You're like, "Well, yeah, of course, I completely understand." But where does that leave us? Where does that leave my team? Every single day, that's there's you know there's a degree of kind of upset or worry for you know for your team, and it just strikes me that you know, if small businesses can do that and they did, like some something like you know an organisation like the RFU could probably bloody share a hat around and and you know kind of support their players. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It's- yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, we vocalised some of our thoughts tonight. We haven't said everything and stuff, and we kind of haven't been it in a position to say either but yeah I, I think our frustration is just live with the fact that we feel that things can be done differently and and they will probably continue to say no I don't, we, we were kind of as brutal as it is that's the way we saw as the, as the best route so I think it's like one of those things that is in history now and it's happened and, and as as much as we feel that we've been undone by it like it is a professional sport it's pretty brutal um but 
yeah, like there are there are people who are worse off than us. So like it's just kind of the understanding that yeah. So are there any resentments still around? Well, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's a new group now. So um, a lot of the boys who were involved have either retired or gone on to different things, playing in different teams. When we went back as GB, there was a handful of us guys there, and it, and it was a, a big sticking point near the start of when we joined them. But but where they where we were speaking about like, look, this is a as much as a, as frustrating it is, we're never going to get closure on it, and we're here as in England, Scotland, and Wales. Like in a way, they were saying like, be thankful for having a job again. That initial feeling of like that's what it felt like. Be happy you've got a job, but it wasn't that. They didn't say that. Um, but at the same time, like I think we were cherishing the opportunity to obviously go to the Olympics again and having that 2016 experience showed like how exciting and amazing the journey to get there was going to be. And we had five months leading into the Olympics to prep as a Scotland and Wales team, England team as well. Sorry, um, Scotland and England team. Yeah, that was kind of a, a nice driver and probably distracted us in a way, but it never undid the stuff that had happened previously, man. And I guess, you know, we all, we all just have to go, okay, well, that was shit. What are we doing now? You know, you can dwell, can't you? You can, you know, you can, you can spend your time there and back to your point about your negative thinking and, and recognise you, you can either spend your life there or go, okay, what are we doing now? What are we doing for the future? Talking about the future, so you say you've got two tournaments left, Singapore and Vancouver. What are you thinking beyond the tournaments then? Like, I've been quite lucky and been working on the background, but I've got a assistant coaching role in um China Sevens, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so like, obviously, like, when whenever you speak about, like, rugby, like, the world rugby, like, the up-and-coming kind of nations, and when you've got 1.2 billion people in China, like, you should hopefully find a seven and or a 15s team, and it's just the opportunity to go out there and... That's signed now, con- contracts, like you, so that's what you're doing? It, it's Yeah, it's being sorted. There's still some things to tie up, of course, but um, I'm looking to hopefully be out there later this year. It's just working out covid because they'll see they're going for a zero a zero covid strategy so it's mental things there are brutal yeah so like it's back to like two years ago that covid situation so um yeah the, the, the strains there are changing where's the team base they kind of go all over so like shanghai beijing um yeah. guangzhou i think it is so kind of all, all over the place really but again i, I think it was so scary that it was exciting like the opportunity to do it and what how did it come about uh, just through a friend so a, a guy over here got approached and wasn't going to do it and then now we come back and he's doing it so we're going out there together to do it as, as I'm assistant he's head coach the language barriers will be another big challenge when we get out there of course are you are you learning are you, are you on your Duolingo every day yeah I've got like an audio book on um, on yeah on, on, all, on all the audio apps I'm kind of trying to get through a bit of time of that it blows your mind like I, I tried learning German which was which was an experience my wife's German, but um, oh, okay, okay, yeah, but she speaks German, so I kind of thought it'd be quite cool. We got out of Germany and stuff, be able to try and be like, Yeah, I speak a bit German, <laughs> but <laughs> like Chinese, different level. And again, not being an academic hasn't helped my learning skills either. <laughs> Are you, you worried about that, like the kind of communication with the players? We've got a translator and stuff, and we've okay. got um, a guy who's be he kind of one of the coaches who speaks good English and, and Chinese, yeah, it's obviously a factor, yeah. Um, but it's something that they've been used to for a number of years because that's kind of bringing in like a foreign coach to help kind of upskill the coaches and players. So what's the what's the team like now? I don't know anything about the Chinese sevens. No, so they're they're not they're not on the world they're not on the World Series. They're not one of the, the top tier teams, but they're trying to qualify for the Olympics for so their Asian section, and they've got their Asian Games, which is like the equivalent of like a Commonwealth Games in September. 
which is in China. So they're prepping for that at the moment. That's kind of why they're looking to try and do that. And then next year is a qualifier for the Olympics. So there's like a, a nice 18 month two year plan. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I maybe sack that for a few months, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think it's it's exciting nonetheless because it's like a, a transition out of sport which is always difficult and hard, but it's finding something that I'm kind of used to as in I know the sport and I've done some coaching before. Scary, but exciting, I, I, I bet. Yeah, and like, again, being coached for the last eight to ten years, I kind of understand uh, like the system, a team culture, um, interaction with coaches and things like that. So I, I feel as though every day is like a school day and every day you're learning. So it'll just be kind of accentuated when we get out there as well. So yeah, it's quite an exciting opportunity. It's and really Something exciting. you kind of don't really think about when, when you're born in Gloucester and think about potentially going out to China to coach rugby. God, no. No, no, no. How is it going to work family-wise with you in China? Bit of a tough one, but I'm going to go out there and then see how it works and work out like covid makes things really difficult like we already have to quarantine for two to three weeks before we get when we get there so like some of the situations around family members being together just is it, it, it makes it real difficult bringing the family over for the time being so i'll go out there and see how things work and what the opportunities look like moving forward and then take it from there because obviously look the oldest ones at school some holidays will be here soon so my wife can go around and see her man in Germany and things like that and manage and manage that time. But yeah, it's something that we have to look at as a family and it's gonna add obviously stress with everything, but it's just managing kind of everything and trying to and again, like the same with the rugby, it was never a long term plan for the next fifty years. It's always a short term plan. And again, this is a, a small snippet into kind of that next level of playing coaching transition and then hopefully this will be a stepping stone into some other things but I don't know what yet. have you always been that kind of person to you know they, there's that school of thought isn't there just say yes just say yes to things and, and see what comes of it is that the kind of person you are um I'm scared I'm, I think I'm scared to make decisions so I kind of just sit back and say nothing and then let them kind of facilitate like formulate in a way I, I think I understand rugby and kind of sport and team sport and team environment from obviously my time doing rugby. I was finding it hard to find an alternative around kind of corporate life, what the next steps actually being here. So this is kind of being a nice like stepping stone of being like, actually, this is kind of a nice period. Have you had any support with that? Yeah, so we've got a, a players union, a rugby players union, the RPA, who offer that kind of support. But again, when you're playing rugby, you, you never think I'm going to be retiring tomorrow or, I'm, or I'm, you could get a freak injury like some guys. So you're always told to be proactive and, and kind of sort that stuff out. But I, I never was too proactive and I was quite comfortable in on my days off, I'm resting rather than going and doing work experience stuff and experiencing different kind of work sectors and stuff. So, um, yeah, I was probably very slow on that. But it's going to be coaching for the time being, and then exactly. you never know. So, you never, that's exciting. So, yeah. is there is there like a lot of pressure on you? Do you feel from the Chinese Union? Basically, they're bringing in you know top try scorer ever. I mean, what are they hoping for from you? Like elite level understanding of what sevens looks like and playing in that World Series for ten years. And yeah, I think it's a, a nice way of kind of they are obviously growing as a team and trying to evolve to get to that next level. And again, I'm continuing on my coaching journey, starting kind of after finishing rugby and doing it full time. So again, I'm in that involving stage as well. So I think they go hand in hand quite nicely. So they're trying to get better and qualify. And I'm trying to obviously get myself to that coaching level. Are you going to have any kind of involvement in the recruitment side of things as players? Or is it all kind of, this is the team, this is the set? You know, Yeah, they, they kind of bring together a, a squad of 28 
26 guys and they're kind of based in like a camp base and obviously now with covid they're very pressed on people leaving and coming back in so the guys will stay together for six to eight six to eight weeks before they can see their family which is pretty brutal but again it's understanding the, the cultural change and differences and how we see the world and how they see it over there and their kind of their history of, of leadership and things like that they see it different how for us we're all about well-being and things like that and seeing our family and having downtime whereas they're like it's about working and getting better so it's it's understanding how both they amalgamate together and so but it's good it's, it's, you, we're having good conversations we're we obviously got a goal in mind which is quite easy to work to because we know when the end point is and then it's, it's i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's understanding how can we facilitate and create a plan which we're going to be able to implement our principles in attack and defense and all that other stuff. How can we build a culture? How can we immerse ourselves in the team and the culture in, in everything to do with, with that to then, you know, make us all united as, as one. And again, it's no different to being in a seven team of some sevens guys leaving, some new guys coming in the next year and how we bring together the team. So yeah, it'd be quite an exciting challenge just in a different culture and a different kind of, mindset it's going to be a hell of an experience like yeah it's going to be mental, just, if, if nothing like, else it's going to be mad yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy and that's kind of why that's why it's so exciting and that's kind of why i was like this is so ridiculous and so scary like it's also quite an exciting drive to be able to be able to want to do it as well i've always said when i was playing i never wanted to coach it's quite an exciting project and when i'm looking around of what my skill set I have is and what I can offer like this seems quite a nice niche opportunity and I say that again like the China like being in China like having to evolve in their culture having to immerse myself in something completely new is is so different that it will hopefully bring the best out of me or at the same time I'll I'll learn a lot about myself and my my values and other stuff as well so again that's kind of why I'm kind of drawn to it so and so when's that that's, that's starting basically as soon as you, you finish at Vancouver? Yeah, so I get back from Vancouver and the tournament and then kind of just working out visas and getting across. Like COVID's obviously massive. There's still quite a big thing out there with everything going on. So it'd be interesting to see when we can get out of there, but we're doing as much as we can here and reviewing training. Now, is there anything you would have done differently in terms of playing, in terms of choices made, in terms of opportunities? Yeah, like I, I think... I've always enjoyed playing sevens, but then I don't know if I stayed too long in sevens to be able to get out. Right. So I don't know if I potentially should have planned an exit plan a bit earlier to try and find a way of going back into 15s 
or even trying to get over to France and do something and, and learning a new experience that way. I was probably blind to the end point. So I should have potentially could have potentially planned a bit better when's the best opportunity to get out or, or am I doing the right thing for the long term? But I felt as though when I was doing that it was and it probably it probably is. I've probably given everything and got everything out of the sport that I could have done. And I think from a playing point of view in sevens, a consistency element is probably a thing that I regret probably the most because I don't think although I played some maybe some cool moments but there wasn't that consistency mentally to be able to perform in every game for a sustained season kind of I don't know I, I like maybe I'm just pulling up pulling at hair here but no, no, I mean it's interesting because because obviously it was Gloucester to Bristol wasn't it was was it literally just a case of you thinking that's you know it's a kind of direction that my skill set allows me to you know to explore better yeah well Gloucester was Gloucester I didn't have a I wasn't given a contract at the point and I was like, to be fair, like I'm in there with like Charlie Sharp or Henry Trinder. Johnny was a year or two below me, but I didn't, didn't know him at the point. But like there was guys coming through and I wasn't seen as a favourable like, winger in that in that point. So I was like, there's a better chance of going to Bristol, playing some more rugby, playing a good level of rugby to then get into the premiership. And that's when they then lost the Exeter in 2009 and then kind of ruined that, that return that year. And that's kind of when I was like, right, actually, I'm, I'm done with 15s and having to, like, play in the cold and where I want to be playing in the sun, playing sevens. And that's kind of where it started. Because you're not, you're not a small guy at all, but, you know, you, you, you know, wingers, obviously over the, you're not a small guy. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, go, Google Images, go for it, you look massive in one of those shots. <laughs> you, you, def- you knew the camera was there as well, I reckon. I, I'm like, you know, you're like tensing, <laughs> I saw, I see it. <laughs> you know, you, but there has been that kind of trend towards bigger wingers, hasn't there? So I wonder, is that something that you feel kind of like you didn't want to have to contend with? Like, you know, just chucking a couple of stone on? Because that's yeah. obviously potentially a detriment to your speed, right? Yeah. So like when I was at, when I was at Bristol, they had a few big wingers there and myself. And then I went there under the assumption I wouldn't play and then played the first kind of quarter of the season, which is good. Yeah. And they were surprised that. I actually was okay and could play a bit of rugby, which sounds like fine. Um, but no, I, I think, like, I, I don't know if 15s and me never really worked. And I, I never really understood how to really break it down the game and really showcase my skills. Whereas sevens, I got maybe it was the coaches, maybe it was just my understanding of the game. Like they said, I was more kind of, I was better positioned to play sevens. So that's kind of why I, and naturally fell into that kind of vein. And yeah, that's kind of like, that's probably what the reason why I'm I'm here today still playing seven because I, I love it so much and it gives you so much freedom and opportunity. I've learned more about myself playing seven than my teammates and understanding how to be involved in this environment because probably I'm more receptive to it because I love the game so much more than probably a 15th environment where there's a lot more players in a team. So it's harder to probably make connections on a deeper level. You, you're always going to have players who have different views on how the game's played. So you're always going to have that kind of misalignment of like, if we're all saying we're rowing in that direction to get to the goal. And then one guy say, well, I want to go this way. It's the best way. The guy's like, you're going the wrong way kind of thing. Like, you're always going to have that kind of clouded understanding. And whereas in seven, there's only seven players in the field. There's only a small squad of 14 guys. Like you're all generally pulling in the right direction because that you've already assigned that goal. And that's probably a big part of why I've been able to enjoy the success of playing sevens as well. Is there one person, either either when you were really young or you know throughout, that you think, yeah, that that person's really changed my career and my life? Um, I think the two sevens coaches I had, Ben Ryan, he won gold with Fiji, and Simon Amor, being big in, 
big impact on my career. They're both like similar, but very different characters. Ben's got a lot more kind of like social side to him, whereas Simon's a bit more like process and like getting the job done and was a little like more kind of like top level kind of practitioner in a way. And I probably had them both at different parts of my career, which I needed as well in terms of like, Ben was about playing the game and enjoying it and expressing yourself, whereas Simon was about that as well, but offered a more kind of process and technical understanding of why that works, why it doesn't work. But yeah, they've both been amazing for my development and the different times in which I've had them as well. Um, I mean, did you have any difficult times? I think like from a rugby point of view and a lot like a lifestyle, it's probably been like since COVID hit. Yeah. The last like the last the last two years have been crazy, and like I said, like there's been like some cool ups and some like some downs as well and I've had to find a way of managing myself and how can I still be who I am like day to day so like things like I go on walks on my own to get away from like my family and like the monotony of being in the house all day and like exercising are like things that I've done since I was 16 kind of thing like every day so like that was something I wasn't doing a lot of the math and I needed to kind of give me that dopamine release things kind of things like that so um, you didn't you didn't turn into one of those crazy people it's like right I'm just going to go out and you know run you know six hours a day no I like for, for me it was it was getting out because where we are like you can walk for an hour and not see anybody it's quite nice so, oh really nice yeah, so I would literally just get out, put the baby in the carry and just walk out the house kind of thing and kind of yeah. listen to an audiobook or, or something and then realise that the connection of like being outdoors is quite important for me day to day. I feel like you're not going to be somebody that retires easily then. You're not going to be somebody that just, you know, ambles around and doesn't want to do anything. No, I do I do like sitting down and being still, but I also like obviously being active and being being outside. So I think the active bit comes and then I can then rest and be happy with I'll expel my energy. But no, I, I think the, the transition out of rugby, the, the unknown, like most people have been through, like for me, finding a solution of what makes me tick and like going through a few different plays and help kind of deal with, deal with kind of the ups and downs of all as well, yeah. If money wasn't a thing, what would you do? Would it have still been this? If you didn't need to make a living, what would you do? I would be content in just being at home and being in my garden. Yeah, like, oh really? I, yeah. Like, Gardening and just being outside and gardening. Dan, come on, we're not that old man. What's, what's going on? <laughs> I, I, as for me to be able to go outside rather than being stuck inside and mess around with the kids and play with them and like go out and like explore and just mess around, like that's kind of what I I enjoy. But I don't know. I, I haven't got anything really cool to say, unfortunately. Like I just enjoy be, being outside and being able to be being being active and so as much as I enjoy being in the garden I'm enjoying exploring kind of like neurohacking like our, yeah. our brains and like I'm reading the book why we sleep but again I think it all adds into like performance so like for me it's like I want to be able to be like top performance the whole time so like how do you understand and process information how do you decipher and learn how does your why do you have so many ups and downs in the day your circadian rhythm serotonin dopamine all that other rubbish as well yeah no no it's 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 not rubbish i love it i love it again it's that stuff that gets me going as well where you're like that person with exactly the same life experience as that person well, not exactly the same but you know like siblings you know i'm yeah i'm quite different that's so i'm one of five i'm quite different to my siblings and it's like why 
Like, yeah. you know, what's, what, what is it? What's the makeup? You know, what, what yeah, are you... Yeah, was it, was it your experience? Was it your parents? Was it a, 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 it was a, a traumatic experience? Like, there's so many different factors, isn't there? So it's quite, it's quite scary. And like, we, we've got three kids now as well. And, like, how they all differ, which is fine, because obviously the, the genes they have as his parents. But then, like, in 10 years' time, like, how do you influence them? Because you're, you're demi, they're all going to have the same, potentially the same parenting kind of, experience it's then how they interpret the world that then falls down to like us as a team we've all generally been loved by our parents people have taken apart from some of the guys he did in our team kind of thing so yeah well i'm saying like in our team you can see there's some guys who haven't been loved and they crave that attention stuff. you generally have that kind of shared experience of all that so it's on how we all then perceive the world and that's just a massive Oh, well, that's really interesting. So I guess maybe that's the you know your your USP as a coach is that 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 side of things because you know it is marginal gains. It is it's it's the things that make a big difference that people might not see. But then especially at such an elite level, you know, what what are those levers? What are the things that you do that you know on a daily basis? What are the choices you make, the habits you form that create you know yeah. for you. But this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed this. And as you know, we as um, we said when we last spoke, it's. It was about 15 years plus before that that we that we probably we probably spoke. So um, it's just awesome hearing how well you're doing and you know how much you've got going on, all the exciting stuff you've got coming up. So really look forward to seeing how that happens. Uh, thank thank you for having me. Oh shush. <laughs> all right. Well, have a good one, and I'll speak to you in a bit. Decent. Thank you, mate. Yeah, and there we have the first part of today's episode. And this conversation. And as I said, I wanted to bring it up to speed. 18 months is a long time in anybody's life, and especially for a professional sports person and somebody that was bowing out of his rugby career to go into coaching. So we, I needed to bring it back. And Dan kindly said, absolutely, let's do it. I think it was important for him as well to ensure that we'd spoken about China and his experience coaching there. Enjoy the second half of this episode with Dan Norton. Dan, it's been 18 months since we spoke. A lot has changed. So the last time I spoke to you, you just said that you were going to be heading up to China to coach the Chinese National Sevens team. What happened? Yeah, it's been a long 18 months. I finished playing back in April um, 2022. Again, Kobe was obviously still a big thing at that time and the Sevens season was kind of a congested uh, whirlwind at the time. So I played in Singapore and then we flew the weekend after that to... um, Vancouver had my final tournament kind of announced softly on Instagram that or social media that I would be kind of finishing with the the prospect and the joy of actually starting a new coaching career going to China just quickly on that do you feel like you ended your playing career happily were you were you happy with the end of it good question I think it, it I left with a sour taste in my mouth I I think even after 2016 I remember sitting down when I was 28 30 I think it was and I remember thinking I don't think I'm gonna get another contract after this I kind of thought yeah I've done my Olympics I'm done now like from a player like a coaching point of view um then i got offered a new contract until the next another cycle i then finished the olympics being like i'm done with this i'm happy to step away but then actually when i finished the olympics because i got postponed to 2021 when i finished the olympics i was like i'm in ring took some time away wanted to really come back and try and think think fine let's take a push for another um two two years here or whatever else i'm not too sure but then again whenever you step away without it being an injury or kind of through a contract it kind of it's a hard one because you always think what if and I think I was able to step away and say fine I'm done with this I'm, I'm happy to step away 
But I think there's always going to be very deep rooted connection um, and attachment to that then thing you had. So for me, it was never a case where it was taken from me. It was in a way, but it wasn't. It was also a decision at the same time. So I had a lot of obviously gratification for being able to do that and step away from it. But it also, it still didn't, it still didn't recover from the hurt that could find this is now ending. I haven't, I'm doing something else now. What tournament you finished finish on 92 tournaments? 92 tournaments, yeah. So, yeah, one of the top kind of three or four guys who've got most, like the most tournaments, the most appearances. So, yeah, like it, it's it's really cool to be able to sit back and say that. And it, it's really, um, I really do enjoy being top try scorer. Like it's uh, something to look back on my career. And like that's great. That's something really cool that I've been able to do. I've done some ambassadorial stuff with the World Rugby at some of the, the tournaments. So, seeing it from the other side, like, kind of the commercial side and like connect connecting and networking with um different um sponsors and and seeing the game from the other side is really cool but i i do in a way miss it but i also don't at the same time i think whenever you retire you get 10 to 15 percent better than you actually were so um uh. in my head i feel as though i'm a lot, I'm a lot better than i actually was when i retired but i do think retirement was the right thing i think you just you're always going to miss it because it was such, such a big part of my life for 12 14 years was it i mean two thoughts one you said a sour taste in your mouth why sour taste because i thought potentially that i could keep going but i knew probably deep down that i wasn't good enough to keep going well that was my second question is do you think you were physically at the did you have the ability to keep going so i don't think i was the player i was when i was 28 30 but i thought that i could still add value and still do a good enough job Maybe I was a little deluded. Maybe I probably, my time was done, but, you know, back in myself in the, in the environment that I was training in, I thought I was still doing okay at the time. What were people around you saying? Were they teammates? Were coaches? Were they telling you that you still could do a job? I think it was more around the programme at the time because there were so many pay cuts and nobody knew the direction where the game was going of sevens that it was kind of, we were going, kind of going from one meal to the next. It was from tournament to tournament. So it was less about actually, okay, what's the vision for the next two years to get us to quite qualification to get to the olympics it was about okay fine next week we're training here and then we're training there so there wasn't the longevity in it and for me the conversation was more around i'm done after this or i'm i'm happy to step away after this a personal question you talked about pay cuts there what does a sevens player earn uh it's changed drastically so when i like pre-covid top guys were anywhere on anywhere north of 60 70 80 90 again the bonuses and uh the stuff brand sponsored as well now it's kind of drastically changed. Guys are, have gone from that top tier to top tier being about 40,000 round about then. And then now that's been cut again even more. So the best players in the world are on 40K. Yeah. So in the UK with the GB setup, that, I think that's kind of the pay around there. Um, I, again, I can't confirm that. No, um, no. It's... So yeah. No, no. I, 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 get, I get what you're saying. So I, I get, so again, the other nations, um, France or New Zealand, Australia, for instance, they have Olympic funding, so they right. get a bigger purse to have a bigger budget. So they've got a bigger budget to allow for paying the females and the males on, on equal salaries, which is really mm-hmm. cool as well. The GB program is doing that. They're paying up to equal salaries. Um, again, I don't know the ins and outs of it also. I may be speaking out to maybe lying here, so don't quote me on that. But the salaries have become a lot more aligned, which is good, obviously, for sport and female sport and bringing that equality in there. I can't say what the top guys are on, but it's nowhere near what it was when the program was the size it was kind of just before as COVID hit. So, as I say, I know it's it's personal to ask, but it's fascinating. I think for a lot of people to look at you and think, right, you're at the pinnacle of your sport, but they're getting no more than really putting your body on the line. 
Yeah, I, I think it has changed though. So the program before I'm a full-time, whereas now it's um, kind of a camp-based model. So you kind of will train for a week, then you go back and train at home. So there is there is opportunities to earn on the side. So there's that element to it. But no, I, I get the fact that there should be, the, in my eyes, being very biased, being a sevens player, there should be the best sevens players playing sevens, representing GB to win a medal. And, that, and unfortunately, that does come down to funding. As much as it's about turning up to play for the shirt and things like that there's also a funding element to it to survive beforehand the program was in line with that with that the ideology of actually pushing for medals and pushing to um to win those kind of things that's kind of where the budget represented that but at the moment i think that has changed so again it's about being innovative within the camp-based model that they are trying to run and trying to find ways of creating salaries outside of the game for the guys and i think that does create all rounded better people and better players but it takes away from having the best players unfortunately money is the overriding overriding mark it has to be i mean you, you've got three kids you know you're you, you know when you've got a family to support it's, it's it's the main thing you said you were really excited to go to china did that excitement play out were you happy to be there yeah i love the challenge of of the role again i think i hit a ceiling in my development through my own kind of innovative and investigation and kind of researching and learning so again, I needed probably some external support to kind of help leveling me up. I really enjoyed the the point of difference of being a different culture and exploring that. I loved the traveling part of it. I loved supporting the players. The hardest thing was the language barrier. And it was hard to obviously learn that at the same time of trying to understand the program and create a long-term goal and work with the different dynamics within, within the kind of the union as well. I don't think I really represented the best of, of the UK in, in China in that regards. Yeah. You had a translator with you, right? You said that you you would have access to a translator. Yeah, we did. We had a we had a guy who would translate, but again, you don't really know what they're saying. You can't really build rapport with the players directly. Um, yeah, it was a hard way. I don't. So I don't think we I really nailed that cultural point of difference and how to really connect with the players on the level. Like there was obviously we did to a degree, but I think within like yourself as a as a owner of a business or a manager, like you were finding ways of connecting very differently with different people and I don't think looking back now I did that at the time because again it was a golf that's everything like it's being being you're in a different environment you're trying to learn a new language you're trying to understand the team itself you're trying to increase performance you're trying to analyze everything and it's a lot of stuff going on so yeah it was a really cool experience did it feel lonely no I was there with two other guys um I think we were all going through our own kind of cycle of life at the time so for me like being away from playing was obviously one part of it, but doing the coaching was really cool because it was like a halfway house of being involved still. And yeah, we all kind of played together before with England Sevens previously, like five, ten years ago. So we knew each other, but... Because who else went out with you? A guy called Tom Biggs. So again, he was, when I first played Sevens, he was the guy I was coming on for. So he was the um, the alpha and I was the beta, as he'd probably yeah. tell me. Uh, and then <laughs> Ollie Phillips, he was World Player of the Year. Um, yeah. Again, so did really well in, from away from playing as well for PwC and different companies like that. So, um, mm. yeah, it, it should have really worked really well. But I think it felt that we were destined to fail from the start. But again, I'm, that's probably my own um, my own thoughts on it. How did it end? So we we played. Um, so the guys came over to the UK April until August. We went to China from August until September October. Yeah, September time. Then we had three tournaments in Asia. Because of COVID, we couldn't then go back to China in between tournaments. So from the start of October till the start of December, end of November, we had three tournaments. One in Thailand, one in South Korea, 
and one in UAE Dubai. Um, within that series, if we finished in the top, we didn't know this, if we finished in the top three, then I think we would have been okay, but we finished fourth and lost out in the last semi-final by, by the fights that we found in the last tournament to then be pushed down to fourth. Um, very up and down three tournaments. So from then, they decided that they wanted to go with a different avenue, which is fine, like we get that. But it was always, we were always fighting an appeal battle from the start. And I think, again, from our side, we probably thought the Western way was the way that we'd experienced playing sport in the Western world. And we kind of tried to imply, apply this. And I think in some of the regards, it does work. But I don't think we won over the, them culturally as well and connected with them. And they probably were unaware of actually what was needed to get them to where they wanted to get to as well. So, yeah, that was really frustrating as, as on the whole. I think euphemistically there, you've said that they went a different avenue, which is sports talk for they said, right, you're sacked. Is that, would you, is that fair? Yeah, I, I think they, well, yeah, they did. They ended our contracts early. So our contracts were supposed to be from March until, well, now really, in essence. So it would have been like an 18-month project into the Olympic qualifier through their Asian Games. So they were, uh, and the first half of the year was supposed to be a point of getting the team at speed, implementing the new structure with the viewpoint of actually playing and transitioning into actually maximising performance for these Olympic qualifier this year and the Asian Games in China. So again, for me, it's obviously a very narrow-sighted version of saying, oh, you results-wise, you've come worse than the last performance or you've come equal to. It's like, hang on a minute, like there's been such a con- contrasting difference with COVID, with travel, with opportunities that way. And they decided to suck us. So it's like, fine, like you've decided this pre the tournament happening. Like it, it feels like they didn't want it to work because, you know, to bring the Western weight, you're bringing three players that have, you know, that have played at an elite level and at a winning level then deciding quite quickly, well, actually, that isn't what we want. You know, why Why go to all that effort to bring you over and make that change if then quite quickly they're going to decide, actually, that isn't what we want? I mean, were you left feeling like it didn't make sense? Yeah, no, I just felt like pretty let down and pretty, pretty pissed off, to be fair. But like, it was one of those things where I get sport, I get performance. So I understand that. It takes a while to, to turn a ship, right? It doesn't just yeah, happen yeah, like yeah. that. And you know, we've seen it with with coaches over the years, in well, Christ, players over the years across all sports. It's not just all of a sudden you bring a Dan Norton in and it's fixed tomorrow. So you had six months there, is that right? Yeah, so we had from about April until the end of the year, December. So we had three tournaments, and for that they they then decided that that was the route. And I, I I kind of I don't I don't get it. I've I've accepted it for what it is. Mm. Um, it kind of hurt to a degree of being like like this isn't working. So like obviously we're letting you go and whatever else. It's like, okay, fine, I get that. And it wasn't, it was like a mutual thing. It was, mutual. It, was yeah, it was all three of us. So it wasn't just like, right, you're going. It was like, right, we're changing the coaching team here. And it was like, fine, if you feel that's the way that you want to go as a, as a, as a coaching, as a union, then I, that's fine. Like you, 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 it doesn't feel as though you want to trust in what we're trying to do. So yeah, and I think the cultural bit was a big part of it, being a point of difference. But also, yeah, they thought obviously they knew better. So, yeah, ex- happy to accept that. From that, kind of had Christmas, got home, kind of was then trying to work out my next chapter. Um, and then was, did some coaching in Japan, played in the States over the summer here in the UK. So, um, July I, time. I loved seeing the photos and the videos, mate. You looked fantastic still. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all I could think as I was watching those videos. I was just thinking, you look like you could still absolutely do a job. Like, you should, you should never have stepped away from a pitch. Did you feel that way? Like, um, there was bits of it where I did, like, so we played two tournaments, one in Minnesota, one in, oh, yeah, like, San Jose near, like, um, San Francisco. 
And who, um, who's we, by the way? Sorry. So it was um, called Premier PR Sevens, the Premier Rugby Sevens. It's like um, imitational rugby in the UK, where you kind of join a team. But this way, it's like obviously you go through like a combine to a degree. They pick a squad of players. You meet up. You're under a franchise. So we were called the Loonies, native to kind of the area where we we were kind of congregated from. And you pick kind of players within kind of the US team. You kind of then have opportunity to kind of bring one or two overseas players as well. You play three tournaments and then you get crowned at the end of the, end of the three tournaments. Um, so, yeah, and then there's guys and girls, there's splits, and there's like a Looney's men's and a Looney women's team. We're in the West Conference, there's four in the West Conference and there's four in the East. So, yeah, really cool, like really cool concept, really nice way of bringing it together and growing USA rugby. A really nice crossover with the, the potential of actually with the new change in the seventh season of connecting players and then going across and playing these kind of these drip fed into these tournaments as well and grow it in a different regions. And was that that was a professional contract, was it? Yeah, so I got paid for it. Again, it wasn't very much money. I came in very late, so I wasn't able to bargain with the big bucks. But for me it was about just getting out of the house and having the opportunity to play some rugby and do something really cool, go to some different city. And how long were you over in the States? So I flew out for a week, played the tournament, and I came went home for a few weeks, then flew back out again, played the tournament, and then was supposed to be playing the final in Washington, but we didn't qualify for the final. So, right. yeah, it was a cool experience. Like I really enjoyed playing again and training. So beforehand, I'm always, I'm generally always training to a degree, like each day or or a couple of times a week. So actually having a purpose to train again gave me the drive to kind of try and push myself more. So that was really nice. So I really enjoyed that element of it. Did it make you wonder if you could have still done a job for England, GB? Was that in the back of your mind? Of course. Like, again, it wasn't down to me not playing because I was injured. It's because it was a decision made by kind of both parties to a degree. So mm. I did think, geez, maybe I could go back and play in the Olympic qualifier and see if I can get the, help the boys get over the line to the Olympics. But then I was like, the effort to, to commit to getting to that position of being one of the best, or want to be one of the best players in the world, takes a lot of time and effort. And mm -hmm. I financially is not re rewarding enough to push myself to do that so that's a big part of it Can when my was body the do it? I, I don't know olympic qualifier the olympic qualifier is next year so it'll be 2024 in kind of july august time no june july time i think i'm not really sure so you're saying there's a chance yes <laughs> <laughs> no no so like initially like there was moments when I was playing thinking like potentially I could still do this again and I could see myself getting like back to a competitive level. Um, yeah. But for me, I can't keep going back to that place. Like it's about now, okay, fine. I've accepted that I'm not going to play for GB or play for England again. Now it's about taking the next step in the chapter of my next job, really, for my next career. So, so that door is yeah. firmly shut. You're trying to fish out of me. No, no, like I, I'm not having any conversations. Like there's no, I'm nowhere near the... The, the player pool or anything like that like mm. for me i'm i'm very much done with the playing professionally i enjoy like a, going out and playing the usa if i'm fit enough if i can yeah. if i'm strong enough yeah at the moment it's about now really maximizing my next career and yeah kind of being again taking the things i've learned from playing and experiences to yeah learning that in a in workplace i mean if that is door closed then can you speak to how you feel about the rfu now as as a as a former player, I know you were quite careful when we last spoke, and necessarily so. The way that they treated you all as a player group, COVID, post-COVID, all of that, is that is that left a sour taste? I think there's always gonna be a point of that, but I think I'm at a point where I've I'm 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 over it. Like I look back on the last two and a bit years, oh yeah, three and a bit years, and 
like COVID hit March and then kind of the, the ripple effects of then the knock-on effect of professional sport around the world. I had some really cool experiences. Like I played in America, I played in Bermuda, a tennis tournament, I played in London Irish, I played sevens at the Olympics. I've been around the world, done some really cool, I played in Monaco, I played in France. Like I did some really cool things doing like bits here and there. But I don't think I was able, ever really able to really enjoy it for what it was because I was always then work, trying to work out where my where I was going next. Mm. So actually stepping away from sport now and not having to think where's my next contract, where's my next gig. Like now it's about if I now I'm going to try and maximize my next career because if I keep resetting going back to playing, I'm still going to be in the same position in the years or two years time. I enjoy the lifestyle I, I have now. I'm not having to worry too much about training. I'm doing it for vanity. I'm doing it for longevity, mentally and physically, rather than having to push myself to a degree, which I really do miss and enjoy, but finding new challenges in different ways. I think it's given me a lot of closure and a lot of acceptance that it was a really cool journey. Some amazing memories along the way as well. I was sitting there some of the dark days being like, I do wish I didn't play rugby at times. By then, I don't think that I, I would have ever not achieve i would have ever had so much fulfillment in doing something really cool but do you feel like you're retired i think for me i'm retired from playing rugby yeah i'm not retired from the journey of life <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. a big, that's a bigger <laughs> thing like i think the training like for me the tool of training and exercise and being outside and moving is gives me the relief i need to push myself mentally as well I will understand how to be in a mental kind of state because for me, the role beforehand being a rugby player was very physical and output. You push yourself, you work really hard, but actually sitting down, actually maximising how I then work out decisions and problem solving. You know, my role within the within the industry. I, unless I have the sport element to then harness that energy, can I then really push myself in that realm as well? So, yeah, I think there's always been the goody benefits of the sport I've played and it's given me so much and I'm, I'm enjoying where the next step takes me. Yeah. We should say, so now you are working um, at a sports marketing company, is that right? Yeah, so sports marketing agency out in Dubai, June 23. So we do um, sports partnerships. I'm on the partnerships kind of sponsorship sales side. So can I connect some brands with um, different clients, different sports and events in the region, which I'm really enjoying. So obviously the team is very competitive because obviously it's kind of sale commission driven as well to a degree. And we're competitive with each other. We're competitive as a group. We're all quite, quite extrovert. We're all kind of in that position. It's always quite loud and outside the office. Um, it's mixed kind of every players in there as well. So um, yeah, it's kind of a, a nice mix. How did the opportunity come about? So again, it's a, a very long, audious uh, just journey of getting here, like just kind of exploring different industries and working out where my skills may best be placed. I hadn't had much experience beforehand apart from playing and doing a little bit of coaching. Reached out to different industries, different companies through connections, had a few different conversations. Nothing at all excited me at all. Um, knew kind of by the end of, after a few months i wanted it to be involved in sports still to a degree just didn't know where that may be so kind of started exploring that didn't wasn't enjoying where life was going in the uk kind of from a cost of living point of view and just everything else around that and the weather so wanted to try and find somewhere different started exploring and then reached out to some guys online um, on linkedin and then um yeah the kind of the conversation snowboarded from there and then eight weeks later or six weeks later i was in dubai Amazing. And the partnerships you're working on with different sports, not just rugby. Yeah. So there's within the team, we do everything from Formula One to golf in the region, um, esports, yeah, food and music festivals, math participations, kids, um, like global events as well. So 
yeah, really cool, exciting, very different. But also, there are a lot of crossover from actual playing sport and just the health and well-being side as well. Yeah, I'm just enjoying kind of where these next kind of steps take me, to be fair. What do you think they thought as you arrived in the company? Because I imagine they probably don't have anybody else that's succeeded at the level you have that works within the company. From a sporting point of view, no, they haven't. But I think for, for me, I was just going in there because they thought I had the skills to do the job. Um, mm. They they realised that. And I think from the conversations from week one to week four, like they kind of didn't know if I really got the the actual role, which I completely got because obviously I'm learning something completely new. And my only reference point was playing sports. So I was able to kind of bring the two together and try and find a way of actually working out how to, how to grow and improve. And again, from playing sports, from my what I've realized as well that I was always hungry to learn how to get better, to ask some questions, trying to work out away from there, work out when I'm in in the in the office as well and just ask questions, trial and error, like no no harm in, in failing. It's um, curiosity. Yeah. It always so comes like, back to yeah, curiosity. That, that's generally what that's generally what's helped get me to week four, week five. That's what I think looking back now made me improve as a player as well. So that that curiosity, that question, that support being pushed being pulled kind of every aspect of that kind i'm of smiling because you've just done the job of my job for me effectively in terms of asking you know i'm trying to find the parallel between you playing and you in in this professional kind of um you know, commercial setting and it is that you know if you're curious i mean the last time we spoke you were looking at brain hacking and <laughs> you know that kind yeah. of thing you were talking about it's, it's marginal gains through being curious and learning about you know these different ways, and I imagine that you're only going to take that into a business career too. Yeah, so I think it for me. I when I was at school, I never really maximised my potential in a school setting, so I, did, I didn't really know how to. So even being shouted at, being told to get out the lesson, like those are probably the big aspects of my of my schooling. I never really understood through whatever reasons how to really properly learn. So mm. for me, the real first, like uni and college, everything else, I was kind of there, I was there, I was, I was okay and stuff. But sport gave me that platform or helped me understand how to grow. So I think I've then, I'm now learning that within this setting now. I may not, I may not get it right. I may not be the best person for the job, which I'm accepting of. I think, but for me, I'm, I'm slowly through evolution of awareness through the last few years, through reflection on my career. Like I'm now understanding, okay, fine, not what I need, but how kind of I grow as a person as well. You're going to bring your family over if it all works out? Yeah, so I'm not really just sure where the next few months go. So for me, I'm just kind of just working and seeing seeing what opportunities there may lie. And then from there, it's kind of the bigger talk around how to get three kids into school here in, in the country. It's not very cheap. So yeah, just trying to work out financially what it looks like opportunity-wise. Does it work for us as a family? So yeah, that's kind of the bigger conversation to have a bit later. But the first step was starting a new chapter. It sounds like you've got the most supportive wife ever. She does an amazing job and the kids are growing. They're going through school. They're going through, obviously they're changing as people as well. But um, yeah, she's, she's, she's doing an amazing job. So yeah, a lot of respect and love for that. So I think I remember speaking to this beforehand. I'm not a driven, like, right, this is what I'm I doing. I remember you person. saying that you didn't want to work for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy about working. No, I, I think for me, it's like, if I'm in a competitive environment, then I'm like, fine, I'm happy to be that person, but I'm not really like a person who will sit back and go out there and like find something like unearth these new kind of quests. For me, I'm about 
okay, fine, I'm part of the team here. Like, how can I be the best for myself to be the best in, like, be the one of the best in the team? So, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy the challenge of competing with other people. So, if there's an opportunity to compete with somebody else, then I'll give it my all. And that's kind of what I've always, I've always enjoyed doing. What I love about these conversations, and again, I've just listened to our other one, which is going out on Monday, and this, it's like a time capsule. Each conversation, you know, I was speaking to somebody that had achieved more than anybody else possibly in the sport at a point where it was coming to an end. And I'm speaking to you now as a retired player working through what comes next. And I think it's a really interesting, it's like we've jumped, we have, we've transported, we teleported 18 months forward to a, to a point where the, the questions that were unanswered have been answered and you're at a different, you know, completely different place in your life now. I'm really glad that we did this again. I'm re- so thank you for, you know, saying, yes, I'm going to come back because I will forever be grateful to you giving me that time to start off with as bad as I possibly feel like I was because <laughs> it's where I feel like I should be. I feel like I should be doing doing exactly this. You know, I've, been, I've been doing, to, to your point there about career, you know, I've been working in PR for 15 years. I've done well in PR, but what else? You know, what, what else have I got to give? Where, you know, where else can I go? And I do think that pulling stories and you know, just you know, having these conversations is powerful. The number of messages I get from people that are listening and are inspired by, moved by, entertained by, it just feels like, yeah, we're in a good place and this is what we should be doing. So you enabled that by saying yes the first time. I know I was a pain and kept asking. You know, you've been very kind in coming back and doing this. So I'm going to be forever appreciative. The big questions of what am I and who am I kind of thing. So like, I think that's the journey that I've gone through post that's a, I didn't have that period of 20 to 25 of working on who I or what I am I had that like two three two over two or three years recently so again the very different points in your life you may have these kind of crossovers of what the hell am I doing with my life or where am I going and I don't think you'll ever you ever really know like it's I think for me post playing and moving into this new industry it was less about knowing what I want to do and that's kind of what I was racking my brain about. I don't know what I want to do. That was always the question. What do you want to do when you finish playing? I, like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. So for me, it's just being brave enough to take the first step in a direction. Because you know that if you've taken a step in a direction, if it's the right or wrong step, you go back the other way. It's fine. That's not a bad thing at all. But for me, it's taking the first step somewhere and then learning from that step. So that's kind of what I'm doing here now. And that's quite a powerful tool in itself. And I think... You did that yourself in your first few steps and they then became bigger, more confident steps and then that then progressed into where you are and what you are now. And we're not always going to know the journey we're going on or where we're going to. Sometimes it's just having faith that we have got enough belief in ourselves to take steps to move in a direction. So, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going now. Who knows where. That is the most perfect way to end it. (laughs) Thank you so much for agreeing again to, to come back on. Really, really appreciate it. So thank you. This is the freshest episode you are ever going to get. Recorded, as I said, just a couple of days ago, that second half. So thank you again to Dan. Thank you to you for listening. You can follow Dan on Instagram. That's at Dan underscore Norton4. I think he's the same on Twitter. You can go to our social accounts. That's at Starting Line Show across most things, the Starting Line Podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn and all that jazz. So find us there. You can find out more about me and about the podcast on startinglinepod.com. You can say hello and please keep doing so. I love hearing from you guys. That's hello at startinglinepod.com or say hey on social. I am very grateful as ever. Thank you for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this slightly cobbled together approach. But yeah, it took me a long time to get to a point where I could commit to interviewing people as I am now and start releasing. And Dan was the guinea pig. He was you know, project number one. And it would take more than a year before we released episode one of the Starter Line podcast. Yeah, I mean, Christ, in that time. As I mentioned before, I work in PR, public relations, marketing is still not recovered. It's still in a an odd place post-pandemic. And it was, a, it was a difficult time. So, you know, it took me a little while to adjust and to, to get to the point where we can do this. So I'm glad that Dan Bear bared with me, bore with me. One of those, right? Thank you. Until next week. Thank you.